So, welcome to the Promethean Tides podcast. I'm General, and this is Breaker. Hello, Breaker. With my wife's name, out your fucking mouth! I, okay, alright, Breaker, I'll be sure to do that. I, I'm sorry if that joke offended you. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that, that happened this week. There was a whole bunch of... Uh, uh, uproar, I suppose. A lot of attention paid to it. Uh, a lot of different takes. A lot of nuclear fucking hot takes. Uh, what was? I'm curious, Breaker. We actually we haven't talked about this at all. What was? What was your take? Who? Who was? Who was? Who is the most justified or unjustified? That was 100 percent Will Smith's fucking fault. There is no way possible to justify that on his side. And all these Twitterati and bullshit talking heads trying to justify it. It's like, he was standing up for women. He was standing up for his wife. It's white supremacy because black people just fight all the time. Get used to it, honky. All that bullshit is bullshit. It was a fucking G.I. Jane joke. Like, Chris Rock could have royally fucking destroyed both of them comedically. But he told, like, one of the tamer jokes he could fucking think of, and that was enough to piss Will Smith off enough to go up and smack him on national television with millions of people watching. Okay, so uh, let me play devil's advocate for a second here, then. Um, look, uh, Chris Rock said something that was potentially upsetting uh, to Will Smith. Ergo, um, uh, public assault is justified. There. Aside end, from the fact that Will Smith, aside from the fact that Will Smith's initial reaction when the camera panned to him and his wife, Will Smith was laughing at it and not really thinking anything of it, and Jada Pinkett Smith just like you could see her face just turned sour and her eyes were slowly shifting over to Will in the "bitch, you better do something" look of black woman doom, and that's when the bullshit popped off. So. uh... <clears throat> I I thought uh, I okay so I, I I think I think it made no sense for Will Smith to slap um, Chris Rock. I don't think that's appropriate. Obviously, you should not um, assault someone because uh, they said something that made you you feel bad. Uh, but I have I have two takes that are uh, kind of outside of that specific. Uh, point and that is number one. Um, <clears throat> I I'm not sure if it was real or not. I know that some people have been saying that it was staged. Some people have been saying no, it was hundred percent legit. I uh, I don't know. Like I'm not sure. But what I can say is that uh, it'll probably increase the viewer ratings for the Oscars next year. So I. Uh, Good for the Oscars. And well, as far as as far as the stage aspect of this goes, I'll give you like a really good counterpoint as to why that's most likely not the case. Um, do you think that woke progressive Hollywood would quote unquote stage anything one that's actually that good, <laughs> and two that depicts two black males? in a physical confrontation on national TV in front of millions of people when the stereotype of black males is that they're violent. Do you think woke progressive Hollywood is going to put out that image? <laughs> uh, maybe. I don't know. It could be that they just really wanted to get viewership, and maybe it's 
maybe it's more believable if uh if 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 it's it's a, a black man being violent against another black man because statistically well, it's more likely but uh well yes but you know statistics and facts aren't real to the woke wokey woke progressive so that's not the argument from i'm thinking from their perspective like you're thinking logically i'm thinking wokishly ah <laughs> uh, yes the the wokish perspective uh so okay all right it people have different ideas about whether it was staged or not uh i I I don't know. I can't tell. Uh, but more importantly, I don't care that much. And I think that that's really the best part of this because uh, I think that what happened was for about a week, all the people that usually um, really uh, care about politics but don't actually care, they're they're kind of focused on politics in the same way that like your average person would be focused on wanting the Pittsburgh Steelers to win the Super Bowl this year or whatever. Um, that, th- that type of person was then focused on, on the slap instead of all of the other political stuff. And it was like, just for a brief moment, it felt like the actual political discussions uh, were just a little bit uh, higher quality as a result it's like it's like all of these the the people that used to be obsessed with uh celebrity gossip and tabloid stuff over the years over the past like 10 15 years have moved over to the gossip of politics and then just for a brief moment they all went back to the celebrity bullshit and it was actually great i think that's an amazing thing you know what i think we need i think that we need more celebrity drama. I think that there hasn't been enough drama with the celebrities. That's why people got bored with it and they had to start focusing on politics. But that's not where we want them focusing. We don't want them concentrating their their dumb brainwaves on trying to solve fucking problems. So I think that we need all the celebrities to get into more scandals, more drama. I want all the attention on the celebrities. I want like... 90% of the people that are currently focused on, on politics <clears throat> to focus on fucking anything else. Uh, and I think that would be awesome. So I support this lap. Whether it was justified or not, I'm glad it happened. Well, that's one perspective on it. Now, now that you're talking about uh, the celebrity, pageantry, tabloidy, gossipy crowd of people, which is a lot of people, especially in the Western world... Of all people recently, Tim Pool had a surprisingly spicy take by his standards on this. And he said on a recent podcast when they were discussing this, that uh, the, the, the whole slap debacle. Tim Pool said something along the lines of, all of these people that are so invested in this celebrity gossip shouldn't really be voting. And they should instead vote on, like, the People's Choice Awards and more celebrity and video game and entertainment based shit and leave actual politics to people who know how to point to Ukraine on a map. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't, I think I must have missed uh, when, when Tim Pool said that, but I, I agree with him. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we need more slaps. That's my conclusion. I want more slaps. Uh, you know, even even like the made up slaps, even like like the sub, 
super subterranean tabloid. Is Elvis Presley still alive on the mothership orbiting Nibiru? That level of fucking celebrity insanity. That has also shifted over into politics with the... Trump was basically an, a, a fucking proxy thrall of Vladimir Putin himself. And was an agent of Russia while president. Like... The conspiracy shit needs to come back. It needs to be targeted at aliens and Nibiru and I, I don't know. Fucking Elvis is still alive somewhere. Yeah, right on Mars. I don't know. It needs to go back to that instead of fucking politics because that's also fucking everything up. Uh, <clears throat> well, you know, here's the thing, man. Donald Trump is simultaneously a puppet of Russia, but also um, uh, the QAnon stuff was correct. Uh, he did uh, take over the military and uh, in two weeks... Just wait two more weeks, and uh, don't worry about it. He'll be president again. Uh, <laughs> so, I uh, recently heard from a friend of mine that actually believes that shit. That I don't remember who it was. I know it's not true, so I didn't really keep it in my mind. But she said that someone, according to Q, had recently been hung, like some high-ranking political person. And the person that you see on TV is some type of body double or clone. I don't fucking know. It, it, uh, basically, QAnon is like... SCP universe levels of convoluted at this point. Like, the, the, I would actually believe that the actual SCP organization is real before I believe anything fucking Q says. Well, okay, so, <clears throat> I before uh, before Joe Biden got elected, there was a lot of energy behind uh, the the QAnon stuff, and I I looked into it, into it a bit because I was cu curious, and uh, you know I went on to the the good old. Um, uh, 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 4chan um, poll and uh, saw what they were saying about it and uh, <clears throat> they said uh, okay uh, guys don't worry um, Joe Biden will not get into office uh, Trump has this there's a secret military coup um, Hillary Clinton has already been arrested uh, Joe Biden is currently arrested they're just saving face you know whatever um, and then uh, you know uh, we're we're it, it's it's been a, it's been a while and Trump still isn't president so I'm pretty sure that whatever the fuck they were on about is is not correct but there's some no, people you see, you that see. still believe it. Well, here's the thing: you're just not uh, you're just not trusting the plan enough. Here's what's actually uh, happening: yes. Donald Trump is still president. The Joe Biden that we see is literally a reptilian humanoid clone that subsists solely off the. The scent of perch shampoo radiated from the scalps of young girls. And um, Donald Trump is still president, but he literally put on the Warhammer 40k God Emperor armor and is fighting what are called the Doms, the deep underground militaries. And Donald Trump is single-handedly Davy Crockett nuclear warheading underground military bases, which is causing all these random earthquakes around the world these days. If you're wondering where those earthquakes are coming from, it's underground Warhammer 48 God Emperor Trump literally blowing them up with portable nuclear warheads. Okay, now, now here, here's the thing. Here's the, the real question here, Breaker, because I believe all of that. Um... But if if Trump is God Emperor, that means that there are the uh, the the four um, uh, major gods of ruin, right? You got uh, Nurgle, uh, Slaneth, uh, uh, you got um, uh, Zinch, and you got uh, Corn, right? So, which of the of the ruin uh, the, the ruinous uh, gods uh, is Biden worshiping? I think. Uh. 
Okay, because it's I, either he's worship. Uh, uh, this is this is my guess. I don't know, but my guess is that he's way too demented to be anywhere near um, Zinch. Uh, I think uh, I, he doesn't seem like kind of a tough guy, so he has nothing to do with with with, with corn. Um, Nurgle, maybe, maybe Nurgle, because I think that Joe Biden wants to live longer. Uh, but I think I think it's got to be Slash. Uh, his love of uh, sniffing little girls. I think that's that's who we would, who, who we would worship. Well, if you remember the drag queen story hour, Slash itself literally showed up to a drag queen story time at a library, and it, it was literally Slash in the fucking flesh. So it makes you're, perfect sense to you're, me. You're I joking. think uh, I I haven't heard about this. You're joking. Is that a real thing? I mean, look up drag queen story time on Google Images, and one of the first images that comes up will literally be Slanesh reading to children at a library. <laughs> hold on, hold on. I gotta... Are you sure that that's not just a... a oh my god, it is Slanesh. Oh my it's god, it's, it's literally Slanesh. Uh. What the fuck? <laughs> oh my god, I, I'm... I, as we know, obviously Nurgle is Anthony Fauci. I am the science. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, I guess, no, Anthony Fauci is either Nurgle or Zinch. Um, I'm not sure who Corrin would be, though. Uh, obviously the Democrats in general want to get into more war. Actually, maybe Hillary Clinton would be Corrin. She really enjoys blowing motherfuckers up. We came, we saw, he died. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So really, actually, the uh, the the Democratic Party is actually kind of like uh, chaos uh, uh, undivided, you know, if you think about it. So that's... The Democratic Party is literally a fucking chaos gods incarnate and the avatars of the chaos gods fighting on the earth for dominion of the other world. <laughs> <laughs> So, okay, so this actually, this was something I was thinking about this week, right? So, uh, when I look at, when I look at the, uh, the Democrats, the, uh, at least here in America, the, the Democratic Party, um, the, the left in general, the, the culture that exists, uh, that they're, that they're developing, their, their thoughts, their ideologies, all of this, I look at them and I, I can almost kind of see like a like a demon behind all of this, right? Like an actual chaos demon. I can kind of I can almost kind of see it. Like I can see how this will lead to totalitarianism and how it will lead to human suffering and how, uh, bro, I just want to fucking I just want to be left alone, but they're not going to want to leave me alone, and uh, it's going to turn into bad things. Um, uh, you know, kind of like how I'm sure that the uh, uh, the uh, the actual um, government of China could see uh, uh, the problem with the with the with the communist revolutionaries <clears throat> and how that was going to cause a whole bunch of you know human suffering and death. Uh, and then the actual genuine uh, government of China then had to uh, move to an island. But <clears throat> here's my question, right? So I think I think that I can kind of see the demon behind the left. Um, and I, I don't think that they can see it because maybe they're not looking behind them. They're just facing forward, uh, you know, against the right. But my co my question is, um, 
What if they can see a demon behind me that I'm I'm not seeing, right? What what if what if uh, what if the right also has a demon? Now I can't see it. It I, but maybe that's because I'm I'm blinded to it. Do you think that maybe there could be a, a demon behind uh, behind the right here? I mean, I could think of some ideas. Like obviously, uh, if you go super extreme and get racial with it, you have Nazis, and that's potentially a demon. But it doesn't really seem like that threatening uh, of, of, of a demon. Nazis aren't really that popular of, uh, in, in right-wing uh, America. So do, do you think there might be a demon that we're missing? Well, speaking of demons, I just have to do this. Like, Lord, what should I do? Destroy the child. Corrupt them all. This is their plan, people. These are demons. <laughs> Was that an Alex Jones impression? Pretty much. Everyone says it's one of the best Alex Jones impressions ever. But that aside, um, I'm old enough to remember when the rights demon was much more prevalent in mainstream society than it is these days. Oh, it was the, the, the fucking Bible thumpers from the Bush administration. Assholes. Something akin to that, yes, but they were mostly just apparatchiks of fucking big business and multinational corporations and blah, all that fucking bullshit. One of the best ways to notice the unseen demons is comedy. Just take take some of the best comedians of the left and the right. Like, take, uh, I don't know, Steven Crowder on the right... And then take... It's hard to think of an actual funny left-wing comedian these days. Oh, Maybe uh, Jimmy Dore. Amy, Amy Schumer. Amy Schumer. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Hilarious. <sighs> well, her cunt is the demon in that scenario with how much it smells and how much uh, well, that's she picks Nurgle. her own hair no, out. No, that's Nurgle. Yeah. <laughs> well, obviously. But I think Nurgle is inside of her cunt and her cunt whispers into the ear of Bill Clinton every night, Destroy the child. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, I'll do it, Papa Nurgle. <laughs> Give her a little kid. Okay. okay, no, no, okay. I, I, don't, rodeo rod. <laughs> I, I, I don't think that Amy Schumer is the best comedian that the left has to offer. But I, I also, can't I was thinking like Jimmy Dore. J- like is a is left Jimmy Dore really that much on on the left anymore? He seems okay. Really let's say, let's say a much better example of someone like Bill Maher. Uh, Bill, okay, Bill Maher is actually, de- well, Bill Maher is a decent example, but even he, uh, within, like, the past year, has been really going against the left as well. I want someone who's, like, establishment left, like a Stephen Colbert. I mean, everyone, everyone knows that guy's absolutely hilarious. Um, <laughs> and this is a problem! They're not fucking funny! They're just religious mouthpieces! Yes. Because they're not, this is why they don't see the demons, because they're, they've lost their comedic edge, like, all the mainstream... Like, lefty mainstream comedians that aren't constantly criticizing the left, like someone like uh, Bill Maher is doing. Bill Maher's political positions haven't changed. The left has just gone fucking insane. He even says that himself. And John Stewart also used to be really... John Stewart has always been more of like a centerish left type of person, when you really think about it. Overall. Um, I mean, up until uh, his new show, uh, The Problem with John Stewart... Because that's that's gone pretty woke pretty fast. Well, there you go. I guess uh, you got to pay for that fucking beach house somehow, don't you, Jew boy? But anyway. <laughs> um. <laughs> okay. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, 
I I think but the, the mainstream left has lost all their fucking comedic edge. They can't laugh at themselves, and when they try to make jokes about their political opposition, they're not even jokes. I first started to notice this with Kyle Kalinsky on Secular Talk. He would put up these Alex Jones clips, and he would just stand there staring into the camera like a fucking retarded mouse and gesturing with his hands up to the little Alex Jones clip in the corner, not even attempting to actually make a joke, just, oh, look at silly man, he believes in conspiracies. Conspiracy's funny. <laughs> I not even attempt at making a joke at all, just like, look at silly man, he's a silly thing. Like the ultimate grug brain shit. I mean, wasn't it Alex, uh, Alex Jones himself that said, hey, I'm kind of retarded. I'm kind of retarded, dude. <laughs> Well, I mean, because he is kind of retarded, but also he's he's genuinely funny. Like, that's the uh, like that's that's the thing about the left when uh, the establishment left, right? Obviously, there there are people on the left that can be gen- genuinely humorous, but when when you get into like the the people that are the establishment religious dogma, they are about as funny as uh, a. Uh, as as a Christian pastor trying to do stand up comedy in exactly. the two thousands, like it's just they, it, they just it doesn't work. They just say mainstream left political talking point. It's not even set up as a joke, and then the audience instead of laughing just claps. Well, that's that's what you call a clapter, right? You, you it's you clap and then you go ha 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 I understood that reference <laughs> it's also very similar to like a religious setting where the pastor says a religious thing and then the audience is just like that's right preach at him clap 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 it's uh yeah that's that's pretty much the uh the Stephen Colbert um style of uh of show also the uh What's the other one? Who is it? Uh, Jimmy Fallon? Is that who's on air? I don't pay attention to these things. Uh, but <clears throat> it, it doesn't matter uh, who, who's on air. Um, oh, Fallon is like... Fallon was actually one of the better ones that actually tried to make no, even-handed jokes. Conan O'Brien was decent. I kind of enjoyed Conan O'Brien. I mean, I didn't watch very much of him, to be fair. But uh, Oh, I was like a super Conan O'Brien mega fan a long time ago, and he was like... He actually did make fun of everybody, left and right. <laughs> so, if you if you look at so like Stephen Colbert, um, funny, incredibly humorous, just g- gift of 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 comedy man for the left. Uh, on the right, when it comes to like a late night comedy show, you I think the best example would be Gret, uh, Greg Gutfield. I think his name is, um, and. I've actually seen some of his stuff on YouTube, and uh, it's uh, it's actually made me go haha and uh, like like a genuine uh, like a little chuckle or whatever, and and that's that's not bad. Uh, and it isn't even because I am agreeing with what he's saying. It's because actually sometimes he, he can he can produce a joke that that genuinely makes you go haha instead of clapping. So, uh, yeah, I mean. <clears throat> I guess overall the, yeah. uh, the the right is doing better on on comedy than the left is overall. It's funny with me. I've watched so much comedy for so many years that 
it takes a lot to make me genuinely break out uncontrollably laughing. And there's very few people nowadays that can even get me close to that. Like, one of them is probably going to be Gilbert Godfrey. Gilbert Godfrey! Like, that guy could always make me laugh somehow. Dave Chappelle occasionally, but not as much as he used to. And it has less to do with the political stuff and more to do with, like, I'm so used to his comedic styling and timing and beats that I can kind of telegraph exactly what he's going to do so the jokes never land with me because I watched him so much. <laughs> uh, you know, I actually have never been um, a big fan of uh, Gilbert Godfrey. Uh, I would say Dave Chappelle is definitely funnier than Gilbert Godfrey. Like, his voice is just so obnoxious, man. You remember the famous French actor, Juicy Smouillet? <laughs> and this nigga came out and he said, I was attacked in Chicago by Trump supporters. And why doesn't the black community have my back? What he didn't realize is that we did have his back. We all kept our mouth shut because we knew that this nigga was clearly lying. <laughs> <laughs> Uh yeah 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 that was a, that was a good joke I think my my favorite joke uh, <clears throat> that he did it, it was like um, he said look uh, it is it is a woman's right to do whatever she wants with her body you know if a woman wants to get an abortion <clears throat> she can and men we have to be quiet about that but also uh, I should have the right. Uh, to not have to pay child support. I mean, shit. Bitch, if you can kill him, I should at least be able to abandon the fucker. <laughs> uh. There was another joke he told a longer time ago that that's about like, fellas, look, ladies, they can dress however they want. Don't ever forget that. It, just because they dress a certain way doesn't mean they are a certain way. Never forget that. But ladies... You have to admit that that shit is confusing. If you're running around out there in a hose uniform, and I come up and treat you like a hoe, and then you get offended, it's like, oh, just because I dress this way does not mean that I'm like, I don't go around in a policeman's uniform, and people come up to me and say, oh, thank God you're here, we need some help. It's like, oh, just because I dress like a police officer. <laughs> you run around wearing a hose uniform if you're not a hoe. <laughs> Uh yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I know he uh he he, he said a, he he has a lot of good jokes, but the um the last stand up special that he did, uh it was it was okay. Um I forget the the name. It was the most recent one. I forget the name of it, but uh it was all right. I think uh it it came across more like a it was it was halfway between a comedy special and a TED talk, honestly. And Mostly, I, I just want to listen for the comedy special. I'm not so interested in the TED Talk aspect of it, but, you know, uh, artistic choice. The George, the, the George Floyd one he did was nothing but 100% TED Talk, just talking about George Floyd. Oh, yeah, I mean, I don't even classify that as a comedy special, because that was just... It wasn't. Out. Yeah. It was just a speech, basically. Yeah, that was... Uh, probably not the best work on the part of Dave Chappelle, but... Uh, I mean, well, at least it, at least it wasn't billed as a comedy show, and everyone knew kind of what they were coming for. 
Yeah, yeah. I uh, I, I watched the whole thing. I, uh, I didn't agree with everything, but I, I watched it. And uh, th- there was a couple uh, good chuckles in there, as far as I can remember. Um... <clears throat> It was like a speech told by a very good comedian that knows exactly where to put really good jokes. So, uh, yeah, I guess, uh, uh, the, uh, the left, uh, they, they're, they're not that good at comedy, I guess is kind of a, uh, a conclusion of that. Um, but to go back to my, uh, to my original point, uh, is there a demon uh, lurking behind, uh, let's say, so I'm a right-wing libertarian type. I want, uh, you know, my my stance is uh, uh, hippity-hoppity, get off my property. So, uh, is there is there a demon lurking behind that? Do you think that there's something there's something evil that the that the left is seeing that maybe I'm not? Uh, you know, maybe a reason why they would be super opposed to my beliefs. Probably what they're seeing is. From I mean, their perspective, a supreme lack of compassion and empathy. I mean, there there is memes where, like, um, you know, something, something, uh, child slavery and your backyard yeah. nuke and also roads yeah. don't exist anymore. Like, I mean, those are, those are I, very funny. But, I mean, in terms of, like, an actual genuine evil. Well... If, if you're being judged by the left from their perspective on libertarianism, what they would be see is a complete disregard for empathy and human compassion. But in a weird type of way, um, there's ways in which a freer market that's closer to something like laissez-faire could be more philanthropic and more charitable. If you think about it, because you remember fucking John D. Rockefeller? Remember, like, all those titans of industry in the early 1900s that have buildings named after them and whole fucking streets named after them for a fucking reason? Because they contributed so much to fucking society? Remember those guys? Uh... Well, <clears throat> so my stance is that uh, I. I think that most of the time when the government tries to intervene into the market, it actually ends up causing more suffering. I think that Lyndon B. Johnson's Great Society was mostly a failure, and I think that welfare has done um, almost nothing to benefit the African-American community. Uh, in fact, I think... It's made that, everything worse. Right. I think that it was like a, it was like a, a hug, but the hug is actually like... Uh, it just slowly gets tighter and tighter and tighter until it suffocates you. It feels nice at first, but then it it starts breaking your your spine, and then you're like, oh, well, I don't know if this hug was such a good idea. That's that's what I think of it like. A, a good old government hug. There's also a thing with like government welfare programs that has another effect that is not often talked about. It's government subsidized welfare and charity, if you even want to call it that is bizarrely inhuman and impersonal in a way that a philanthropist's donations to their community and broader society couldn't by design. 
as you see all these government things around you and all these government buildings that are just this conglomeration of sameness and the architecture is all this postmodern goo, faceless, seamless, fucking square, whoa, brutalist whoa, bullshit. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Brutalism is not postmodern. At least I don't think it is. There's a way in which it kind of is profoundly inhuman. Oh, oh yeah, it is. And it is inhuman. I think that's kind of by design. Like it's supposed to make. I think that the whole point of like brutalist architecture, you saw it. You see it in both the the, the United States and like the Soviet Union. The whole point is that it's supposed to be non-frivolous, very inhumane, and make the government seem more like an entity than something that is made by man. Exactly, and that's the fucking problem because, according to like the types of communist societies where that type of architecture is really popular. In the highest, most idealized form of communism, the government even isn't even supposed to exist at all. But we know how reality actually works. So, it, it was, there was like this double irony in brutalist architecture. It's like, hey, the formless, shapeless government entity that totally isn't headed by that one guy that you cannot criticize in any way, shape, or form, or you disappear. That, that's totally what's happening here. <laughs> I love government so much. It just, it continues to make sense, and it always justifies its existence. It's just one of the most amazing things, I swear to God. And also, the government sort of isn't supposed to be this inhumane, postmodern goo that just kind of exists as this disjointed parallel life form background process over all of us there is very much supposed to especially even in like american democratic system there's supposed to be this kind of inclination that anyone can be voted into office like anyone can run for political office and i think the only restrictions on running for presidents you have to be 35 years old and born in america and that's basically it like from the inception of america it never said that a woman couldn't run for president it never said that people of certain racial backgrounds couldn't run for president. Hell, you didn't just even said, ha don't yeah. even have to own land. You you had higher qualifications to be a voter than to run for president. Yeah, you could run for president and not even be able to vote for yourself. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of a, uh, it's it's a neat system, I think. Uh, <laughs> so that, that's supposed to be a very human and personal system. But you notice over time is how it's all just mixed up in this revolving door of used car salesmen mixed with postmodern churning goo that never seems to get anything substantially done. I, all the Democrats have been bitching about uh, black inequality and black poverty for well, how long has it been? Like almost 80 fucking years. And motherfucker, you motherfuckers have been in power so many fucking times where you could have done something about this. Why is this even still a problem? Why is this like historical injustice and racism that you all seem very passionate about and intent upon changing? How have you been talking about this for the last 80 fucking years and nothing has happened? Well, it's it's also one of those things where it's like, um, uh, if you look at at the states and the cities that have the greatest amounts of like wealth inequality, the greatest um, uh, amount of like police brutality or whatever, like all these different things that the left complains about, the most pollution, um, it it's all it's all from uh, states and cities that are run by Democrats. It's like literally all of it, all the things that they shout about as being problems. It's all in places that are run by Democrats. It's <laughs> it's just one of those ironies.
And then you go to China, which is supposed to... I, I don't even think... I don't think the political models of the Western world even fit on China in, like, the left-right dichotomies, especially nowadays, and I don't think they ever have in, like, a one-to-one -one correlation sort of way. But you go to China, which is supposed to be... And you'll hear these stupid Westerners, like, fucking Vouch and some random YouTube-talking-head communist talking about how great China is. And, and you Vosh. go to China... It's pronounced Vosh, not Vouch. Vouch! Vouch! Right-wing bad bad! It can... Big it can, communists! We can, we can call him Vouch. That's fine. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't yeah. vouch for this guy? Alright. Well, there you go. Then you go to China, and you remember that famous picture of the Beijing Olympics, where you've got, like, this fucking ski jumper, and the background is just a nuclear parapet that looks like something from the fucking Simpsons? Who the <laughs> fuck decided that? What the hell was that? I saw that shit, man. Uh, the only thing that I can think is that some Chinese official was like, hey, I want the rest of the world to know that we have nuclear power plants and they were like okay well let's fucking set the ski jump up, ne up next to a nuclear power plant then like that's the only thing that i can think of that must have happened okay hey, look at our nuclear power look at our progress look at our great uh, communist question mark slash autocratic fascist slash oligarchic society and what it can do yay look at the bombed out fucking nuclear power plant with fucking patches and smog and random shit in the background. Hey, progress. <laughs> <laughs> they, they clearly, they clearly weren't like, it, it was some fucking Chinese official that just said, no, put the ski jump next to the nuclear power plant without considering any of the optics. Well, I'll tell you what it was. It was an, a Chinese autocrat that if you even hinted at disagreeing with them, they could do things to you up to and including things that would make you wish they killed you. <laughs> I mean, at least at least here in America, like someone would have said, like, "Hey, you know, we should we should put the fucking ski jump next to our um, I don't know, uh, re fucking uh, recycling plant," and then someone would go. Ah, that thing's ugly as fuck. You sure that you want to put it next to the recycling plant? At least there could be some some back and forth. Like, eh, well, you if you want that. to show if you want to show how green and natural and progressive we are, why don't put the ski jump next to the a windmills. green lush mountain? No, yeah. no, no, no. You put it next. No, this in next time the uh, the next time the United States hosts uh, the the Winter Olympics, you put the ski jump right next to a whole bunch of those uh, right next to a giant wind farm right and then the, the wait skiers, a minute the skiers will have to dodge the fucking fans <laughs> or else they'll get decapitated that's, that's oh, wait a minute it's, the wind farms in america are all in places where they freeze at the winter time for the most part so if you put them next to the fans of the winter olympics they would all just be frozen stiff oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh maybe the summer olympics then i don't know <laughs> yeah, the, the Winter Olympics, you put them next to, like, the Colorado Smoky Mountains. I, hey, look at the natural beauty of this park, and look at how green everything is. Yay, look at how clear blue the sky is. Woo, that would make a little more sense. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure that China has, like, mountains and greenery and, and shit that would just look nicer than a nuclear. I don't know who, someone decided that. Some official decided that, and no one questioned him. Yeah, exactly, and they do have those green and lush and natural-looking places, but they're either, like, uh, because China has, like, a really weird 
governance around the more rural and farmer agrarian areas where the people around there go by the old Chinese adage, the mountain is high and the emperor is far away. And those fucking Chinese hillbillies actually do have guns, believe it or not, in China. And the Chinese government to just say, okay, these people make the food. So if we try and, like, thumb their eye too much with our autocracy, it's going to be a whole bunch of bloody shit that we're going to have a Mao situation all over again where we killed all our fucking farmers because they dared rise up against us. So we'd rather just look the other way on this. And then you get the Chinese red dicks with AK-47s. They they sound like pretty based people. And they're they're probably the most extreme libertarian. They would make you look like fucking Vouch with how libertarian <laughs> they are. Um, yeah, they they sound pretty based. I uh, uh, I think in the so in the in the Philippines, uh, kind of in the opposite direction, they have something called mountain communists. Um. <clears throat> So in the mountains in the Philippines, there are just, like, a whole bunch of communists. They just took over the mountains. And they're way high up there, and it's difficult for them to get resources because you're on a mountain. Um, but they just chill up in the mountains, and they're called the mountain communists. And uh, uh, the Filipino government, even though it's not uh, communist itself, doesn't want to do anything about the mountain communists. Because I guess that it's, it would, it's, it's more... Um, it, it, it would be it would be too much uh, labor to actually deal with them. Like it, it's not worth the cost of dealing with them. So they just let let a whole bunch of mountain commies uh, just live up in the mountains, and that's just a thing in the Philippines. Are you sure? Are you sure those are communists or are those just Buddhists? Uh, well, uh, they sound like Buddhists. <laughs> a, a, a Buddhist is just someone who really aggressively has a fetish for licking boots. Um. Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, I guess communists are a subclass of Buddhists, but I think that they are commie-style Buddhists. Well, like, religious-practicing cloistered Buddhists kind of just live like communists anyway. The difference oh, is, is oh, they don't, oh, sorry, they don't come around fucking you, with you. You were saying Buddhists, like B-D-D. Yeah. I thought you were saying yeah. Buddhists, like people who love licking boots, like Buddhism. <laughs> yeah, the, you see, there's your comedy. I, I think you do exactly what I said, but you were just playing the. See, there's the secret to finding the demons. You just got to make fun of everything. That's why, in the meta modern perspective, when everything becomes so steeped in hyper abstracted ironies that any and everything can be made comedic, you start to see how, like, the bare bones of how all ideologies left, right, up, down, whatever ideologies are put together. And everything, just like my avatar picture, where everything is just skeletonized and ley lines and an eternal sun shining brutally in the fucking far horizon. Like, when everything is taken apart down to that level, you get to see all, like, the most fundamental intersections of all of this shit. And it gives you a lot more fucking perspective on what's actually happening here. You're saying uh, you like to see things abstractly. I kind of don't have much choice in the matter because the more you the more you think about all these ideologies and philosophies for a really long time and you're just kind of steeped in that mindset for extended periods of time. I'm I'm not sure everyone would do this because I'm really I'm also simultaneously very skeptical and analytical. So when I I, I look at something that as, from a purely skeptic perspective, I should just 
be able to do the fedora bro atheist katana bullshit and say, oh, my skepticism says blah. But then it's like, okay, my skepticism might say blah, but is there anything of actual coherence here? And you'll thing that from a purely skeptical, secularist, atheistic perspective you would find, and that's how you know that atheism can take on the qualities of an actual religion if you're not paying very close attention to it. <clears throat> uh, yeah, it absolutely can. As, uh, as I guess, uh, technically speaking, an atheistic agnostic myself, uh, I find myself loathing most atheists. Uh, and you know, I think that the 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 thing the thing that you really say to to an atheist is, um, uh, Catholics have more babies than atheists, so why is your idea better? Well, then they would probably come across something like, ah, you're saying what is best in life is to barely survive and procreate like a mere animal, not realizing that by their saying that they're injecting a very high level of idealistic value judgment into that by once. Proclaiming that there is a best in life that does not directly comport with biological human reality, they're already proclaiming that there is a transcendental abstraction themselves, but they, they're not directly aware that they're doing that. That is exactly what they do. They've imported all of these ideologies, uh, I guess from various sources of, of what it means to be human. When actually, if they're going to be a scientific, atheistic individual, then at the end of the day, man, like, fucking survive and have babies. Like, that's, that's literally the purpose to your life. And they're like, no, 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 no. I want to be an atheist who uh, doesn't have any children. <laughs> How does that make any fucking sense? Well, then they'll pull, like, some type of Malthusian, consequentialist, utilitarian, ethical argument about... Well, you know, the world is overpopulated, so if I have children... They become antinatalist nihilists, which is an even more caustic and hot-burning form of ideology than the Christianity that they proclaim to not be proponents of. Uh, yeah, yeah, pretty much. And I've, uh, I've talked to, uh, to enough... Uh, I've talked to enough nihilists and uh, post-modernists on Discord to know that uh, uh, fuck those people, I guess, in general. Uh, Jesus Christ, I hate them. So It gets to the point where you're literally just talking to a religious zealot, and then they'll say to you, usually these type of internet nihilists in the modern day and age, especially like the lefty kinds, are very anti-determinist, weirdly enough. They are, it but makes no sense. Yeah, but then they say on the other side of their mouth they're nihilist. And if you remember Nietzsche, Nietzsche was a absolute hardcore determinist. And to make that type of nihilism even coherent and functional, you have to be a hardcore determinist because without the eternal recurrence, the most wretched thought, you can't come to that position of nihilism. It's metaphysically necessary that you have something like an eternal recurrence that is inescapable. Like, you can't have a life and a death where it's eternally over, and you can have a, a cycle of reincarnation where it's possible to escape, or an afterlife. You have to have the Nietzschean eternal recurrence where everything we're doing right now will be repeated infinitely down to the most molecular details. <laughs> well, that's depressing. And that's a lot more 
caustic and hot burning of an ideology than just regular garden variety Christianity. Even Catholicism isn't that hot. Uh, yeah, I, Nietzsche made a couple of good points. I've never been a big fan of Nietzsche myself. Um, uh, like, I, <clears throat> I, I understand, um, uh, I understand the will to power. Um, I get that. Uh, and I understand that he was, he was taking issue with the fact that God is dead, that humanity was moving beyond a God and that he was recognizing that that was actually going to be a major problem. I understand that. And like his solution was, you know, man's, man's will to power. Um, eventually you, you, everyone can become an ubermensch. Uh, but, uh, you know, I just, honestly, I don't think that that's that, I don't think it's that good of a solution. I think that, uh, if, if some people can become ubermensch, you know, maybe that's true. Maybe Elon Musk is an ubermensch, but I don't think that it's, it's within the, uh, I don't think it's within the capacity of most humans to become an ubermensch. I think that ultimately most human beings try to derive some sort of value from the universe that is not based off of themselves and their quest to become stronger. I think, you know, different types of people re require different types of thing. I, I, I don't think that I don't think that Nietzsche's philosophy was universal to every person. I think it, it could only appeal to a, a small number of, of, of individuals. Like for me personally, I I think that uh, Camus uh, was actually a much more um, influential uh, philosopher, at least for my own thinking. Um, you know, the weird thing about Camus was he was actually closer to the idealistic Uber, Ubermensch than someone like Elon Musk even is. Uh, okay, I can see why you're saying that. Uh, but I... Because he took the bull of morality by the horns and be like, I'm going to steer this motherfucker wherever I feel like, up to and including abolishing the age of consent. Fuck you! I will write my own morality. Well, so, uh... <clears throat> okay, so from, from that perspective, right, the, the main character in The Stranger would actually be the ultimate ubermensch, uh, because he just didn't give a shit. He was like, yo, I'm just trying to, like, figure out my own, my own stuff. Like, I don't know why it is that you're so upset that I shot a guy. Uh, yeah, the Nietzschean ubermensch is someone who takes morality into their own hands and is completely blunt and forthright with their moral proclamations. Like, they don't go by any type of pre-existing moral system, like the systems of religion. They're just, like, stand alone as the person who will be, with full knowledge that they are the one doing this, that they will build a new morality. From pure will to power, and nothing else. <clears throat> yeah, I, uh, I, I prefer I prefer the thinking of Camus here because uh, his position was very simple. Um, nothing, uh, nothing matters as far as we can tell. No, no, nothing matters. Uh, there is no meaning or point to life. Uh, and yet, uh, mankind is endowed with an innate desire for there to be meaning in life. And this locks us into 
this sort of absurdist little box where there is no meaning, but God damn it, we desire it more than anything. And it's absurd, and the world is absurd, and you just got to live with it. And there you have it. That's 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 life for you, bro. And <clears throat> it, there's there there's there's a point to it that it's it's not dark. Like there's obviously a darkness to it, but at the end of it, it's uh, it's actually it ends with kind of a light-hearted sort of message. It's like you know whatever, bro. It's fine. Uh, this is, you know, uh, there's a there's a band. <clears throat> it's called uh, Streetlight Manifesto, and I, uh, they're probably top top three all time favorite bands of all time. Um, <clears throat> they started off as a ska band, uh, I guess. At nowadays, they're kind of a mix of folk and ska and some Eastern European kind of influence, but. Uh, <clears throat> almost all of their songs have incredibly depressing lyrics to them. They're all talking about fucking suicide and death and um, how, you know, the, can't trust religion and um, uh, everyone is going to die eventually. There's no fucking afterlife. Like, all, like these, like, pretty depressing thoughts. But every single song is an up beat banger it's just so fucking happy it's just like this happy tune and with incredibly depressing lyrics but it's happy man you know it's it's a fucking happy song that's why i like Camus. it's because it is sad what he's saying but you know you put a fucking upbeat note on it and it just it changes the whole thing makes it a lot more palatable i think you're trying to get at uh something akin to your uh deep affinity with absurdism. Well, yeah, of course. But you know, I mean, as a biological deontologist, that doesn't actually make a lot of sense with everything that you and I have talked about over the years. Like, you already, you have a very clear-cut and very well-articulated and epistemologically and ontologically grounded worldview of what your purpose is in a way that a true absurdist wouldn't uh, I believe that I, I do have to take a, a certain page out of um, just standard existentialism and say eh, you know what life is what you make of it and uh, <clears throat> so I, there there is not a meaning to uh, life making uh, copies of itself all into infinity. There's not a meaning to that. It's just, it's, it, you know, as there's no more meaning in life inherently than there is in a paperclip maximizer, right? It, it, life is not inherently more meaningful. But as a living creature that is part of the system, I can say, well, this process made me, so. Uh, yeah, I I will accept this process as uh, as a thing that I need to continue, and therefore, from my perspective, uh, people that don't engage in this process, people that <clears throat> people that can reproduce and don't, uh, they are the craziest people in the world. Uh, I guess from my perspective. Whenever we go on tangents like this, you always end up. Uh... With what we've been talking about thus far, remember those hidden demons that you might not be aware of behind you and it takes someone of a different perspective to start to see that? Yeah. Because you're so 
deeply ensconced in it, and you're always looking forward away from it, that you don't see the darkness accumulating behind you. Yeah, your your back is to it because your face is pointed towards people who are trying to attack it. And that means that you don't look behind you that much. Yeah, I, I think everyone's guilty of that. I think you're doing that exact same thing now with meaning. Mm. Because, consider this very carefully now. It, this kind of requires a bit of abstract, multidimensional thinking for, you, for this to start to click. Okay. But, whenever you say, like, the the classic absurdist and existentialist arguments like this thing is devoid of meaning therefore when you say the word meaning you're whether you are aware of it or not you are postulating a type of meaning an idealized meaning that you do have but find lacking in everything around you so i'll ask you a very simple question what is this quote-unquote abstract meaning that is missing from the world? And why do you care so much about it and it not being there? So the meaning is something that exists in, uh, in human psychology. It's not something that exists out there in the ether. It's something that appears to be structured into our brains uh, probably due to uh, evolutionary region, uh, reasons. Um, I think that overall, it's probably been uh, an advantage, uh, evolutionarily speaking, for people to be able to drive some sort of greater purpose and meaning from from things. Uh, <clears throat> this was probably a reason why it is that you know religion came to be a thing uh, could be a chicken or the egg kind of scenario which came first man's drive for meaning or uh the uh the first religion you know who knows but these seem to operate in tandem and uh <clears throat> i happen to uh not believe in any sort of religion but i still have that 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 aspect in my mind that still wants meaning. It's entirely psychological. Uh, and I will also say that, and I've said this before, but uh, Catholics have more babies than atheists do. Uh, people who are religious uh, usually, uh, they have more children, they're more re reproductively successful, they probably have more stable family lives, they're uh, certainly better at um, getting the uh, the next generation um, out and having, therefore, grandchildren, not just kids. Kids aren't nearly as important as making sure they have grandchildren. Um, so, uh, you know, religion has a lot of strength to it, uh, and it's it's uh, it's <clears throat> it's one of those things where if it actually caused a a a, a net amount of harm then it would have died off. It would have been selected against uh, in, in evolution. But it wasn't. It's here for a reason. So, uh, obviously, uh, religions confer benefits, and actually, uh, sometimes I wish that I was, in fact, uh, some sort of believer, uh, may maybe a Catholic, I don't know, they don't seem that, that crazy. Uh, but I'm not, and so I have to recognize that. And so instead of uh, having a god uh, or or a Buddha at the center of my, um, you know, 
thinking, uh, well, what do I do? I say, uh, well, okay, it's it's uh, it's this kind of abstracted form of, of Darwinism that I've had to um, come up with myself. And I mean, that's just that's the human condition, you know. If, if depending on what, it's going to happen no matter what path you walk. You're going to have to find some form of way to try to find meaning in life, and uh, and you can admit that maybe it's not universal, but you know, at least at least you, you can try. So that's. That's my stance on that. This is where I always get into you. There's some... There's a very insidious and covert deification of the human intellect going on with you. And I've noticed this is very prevalent in right-wing thinkers, be they authoritarian or libertarian. There's this sort of deification of the human experience and for libertarian right people it more manifests on the sovereignty of the individual and for authoritarian right people it's usually extremely rarefied and elitist and only manifest in like the king or the ruling body of a given system well, whatever that might be or the god right the god is the ultimate version of this well in the highest version it would be well that type of god that does stand as the highest version of that that is completely transcendent and apart from humanity in this type of way that's a very advanced theological notion that didn't exist until relatively recently in the history of religion the gods of the older days it used to be some type of loosely articulated polytheism and on occasion you would actually have like the pharaohs of egypt were actually considered not fully human and a similar thing happened in Japan with Imperial Japan. The, the Japanese emperor, and there are some people in Japan, modern Japanese people to this day, that believe that the emperor of Japan is actually a divine entity and not even human at all. Well, I don't think Japan has an emperor anymore. You have to get to, like, really hardline samurai revolutionary rightist motherfuckers in Japan to find people who even think like that anymore but they do still exist but i mean it, i i just i feel like it would be difficult to hell to hold up uh an emperor as a deity if japan no longer has an emperor like it i just feel like that would be you that would be a whole bunch of hoops that you would have to jump through to get to that spot but well because their, their tradition of buddhism it wouldn't actually be that hard because you have reincarnation so oh yeah, yeah okay all right yeah fair enough i can see that yeah um so I, I agree that, uh, like, when you get all the way out into, <clears throat> like, uh, anarcho-capitalism or, like, uh, right-wing authoritarianism, um, you end up with... Uh, I don't know. Actually, I don't think that they're quite the same. So, like, you have the non-aggression principle when it comes to like the libertarians and that's that's kind of just a principle by which you ought live by but i don't think that that's a deity it's just a it's 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 like if if i had a principle like just in general uh don't don't murder someone un, unless they're like threatening your life that's it's that's not that's not like i'm worshiping that concept it's it's just like hey you know probably in general best not to murder someone unless they're you know 
you're facing bodily harm from from said person you know just just a principle just seems to work out most of the time um well well, that's like that perfectly comports with the way i'm conceptualizing libertarianism that's the the sovereignty of the individual and every man a king where as a libertarian you can articulate in your mind with relative ease that you as just joe schmo nobody have the capacity and even right to be able to think that and act that out in the world. Whereas the authoritarian would just say, well, the emperor has decreed X thing, and I am merely a vassal of his highness, and I will perform X action, regardless of what I think. Well, I think I think that it's necessary uh, to live by uh, certain principles. Now, uh, everyone has different principles uh some some principles are are insane and they don't work in in uh in civilization so let's say that that my principle was uh you know fucking murder everyone that i see well i'm probably going to have a very short-lived life because after i murder a couple people people are gonna come and murder me and that's not really the the best way to try to survive and and cooperate with other humans in civilization but Uh, yeah, I, I'm not talking about like, like that. That makes perfect sense. But the, the distinction I'm talking about is with the libertarians. It's more of like a general thing where, uh, until you get to parenting, when you kind of have to instill that in your child, then you're acting as like a little microcosm of an imperium in a family unit. Where I doubt your child is going to naturally come to that conclusion of their own volition without a little bit of tinkering on your part as the parent to instill that type of value in them. Well, <laughs> you ever watch children steal other children's shit and poke other children in the eye, do all kinds of beat things oh, that you have to correct them on? Jesus Christ, man. All, like, every child is a sociopath. They're born sociopaths. Uh, but, uh, no, I mean, the, the, th- the thing is, is that... Um, <clears throat> And I'm I'm not the first person to say this at all. Like this is something that's been talked about widely. But uh, uh, <clears throat> a family is communist. Uh, you share things, and like I, if, if I, I I don't currently have any kids, planning on having them soon. But uh, like if if I were to raise a child, uh, I wouldn't then uh, do a back charge of everything that they. That I that I gave to them for the past eighteen years of, the, of their life, and then uh, say, okay, well, you got to pay it all back now that you've turned eighteen, and interest is is it's it's counting right now. Like you don't do that because a family is actually at the level of communism. Like literally, you're sharing everything, and usually there is an authority there. Uh, whereas uh, at this at the scope of like a three hundred million person civilization, that's where you don't want to have communism. That's where you do want to actually have maximum freedom for individuals. Like you you wouldn't want to live in a communist nation, and you wouldn't want to live in a in a in a uh, libertarian family, right? Uh, the the strategies are dependent on the scale of 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 human interaction on on, on the scale of of the number of people that are in the system so uh no you 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 can't have an anarcho you can't have an like an ancap family that would make no sense uh the only type of family that really makes any sense is is an actual kind of not strictly communist but basically like a, a commune family 
Remember when we talked about the political trichotomy and the fractals of the political trichotomy that are atomized down and down? No matter how far you are to either one of those sides, you're always going to be tripartite in your nature. And I think the same thing applies to families. You're, you're not wrong when you say that there is a communal aspect to a family. There's also a libertarian and individualistic aspect of a family where your kids aren't going to necessarily align with you on a one-to-one -one correlation. There's going to be deviations. There's going to be a little outgrowth of individual thought, especially if they turn into teenagers and go batshit fucking crazy. You'll know libertarianism when you see a fucking teenager. I'll tell you right now. But, uh... And then you have... You're right, you have the communal aspect of it where you do, like, the family activity and you share the meal around the table and everyone gets the food. Like, you don't look to your child and say, ah... You didn't do enough work at the farm today, so you're going to bed hungry. The parents actually used to do that, believe it or not. And that was a very effective form of punishment that got your children to do things you needed to do. And you also have the authoritarian aspect of the family where, okay, I, I don't give a shit how much you whine and complain. You're not getting another fucking video game. Sit the fuck down and eat your goddamn cornflakes. Well, that's... Uh... I uh, so I think that's that's a that's how a, I think a good family is one where I uh, cuz the thing about my family growing up is that it was extremely laissez-faire. It was a uh, it explains was, a lot. Right. It was it was it was like a it was like a libertarian upbringing. Uh they like my my parents they they didn't really uh they didn't give a shit what I did. I would stay out until all hours. They never focused on my schoolwork. That was up to me. Uh, like, I was never once helped out with my homework or anything. Uh, shit, they didn't even want me to go to college. Uh, and so it was It was extremely laissez-faire. <clears throat> now, I, I also know intimately uh, what it's like to say live with a Baptist family for a year and how crushingly authoritarian that can be. Uh, and I think that it's somewhere in the, somewhere in the between. Uh, you want to, you want to, you want to give your child like a nurturing environment. You need to lay down the law. You need to present yourself as an authority figure that knows more than them. That can, that you have more wisdom than them, but also, Eventually, they do need to turn into self-sufficient self-sufficient adults, which means that you do need to give them freedom to explore their environment and get into trouble sometimes. Um, because how are they going to become fucking functioning adults if they're never allowed to have a freedom? Like, the whole point of being an adult is that you have freedom, but you also have to consider your responsibilities and the choices that you make and the outcomes of your actions and all that kind of stuff. Like, uh... You know, even yeah. authoritarian rulers on the political and national level understand something akin to that. It, it's like being a type of massive parent of a entire country full of children where you kind of have to allow these little communal associations among like, little towns and well, families of people, then towns, and then little... I somewhat fringe communities until they get too fringe and too communisty that starts to become a fucking problem. Religion kind of used to deal with that in its own way. 
And that's why the, the ruling class is like, hmm, this religion business. Like, that's why the old adage, like, the commoner thinks religion is true, the philosopher thinks it's false, and the ruler thinks it's, uh, what was that? It, God damn it. Uh, it's useful? Yeah, useful. I can't believe I fucking forgot that major brain fart moment on my part. We can edit that out and post, don't worry about it, but <laughs> that make me make me look smart. Um, Every time. Yeah, warts, warts and all this time. Um, yeah. And I remember Slavoj Zizek, of all people, was talking about this, and he was actually talking about not merely an over-permissive parental authority figure, but a parental authority figure that doesn't allow for any transgressions to the point where the authority figure is actually embracing transgressive acts, which is worse than allowing you to think that you transgressed against their rigid set of rules and learn a type of lesson on your own within certain boundaries. Slavoj Zizek told this anecdote when he got back from college and he was talking to his father. His father just comes and said, Did you do it with your girls? Have you done it yet? Just imagine your father looking you in the face and say, Hey, have you fucked any of those college girls yet? <laughs> I, there's no transgression. There's nothing that he's... He's so fucking liberal and permissive that... He's not only just allowing things like that to happen, he's actively questioning you and encouraging it if you haven't done it yet. Well, I think I think that's a that's a good move. Um we, uh, so when I was like when I was like 8 years old, um <clears throat> my uh <clears throat> my my stepfather taught uh, sat me down and he taught me how to play chess. Uh and uh, I was, of course, eight, and I was very shit at chess, just absolutely terrible. Uh, and, you know, he won the first game, won the first couple games. But then, uh, you know, he, he made it close enough that I was, like, interested in it. And then uh, he let me win the next couple games. Like, he challenged me a bit, uh, but, you know, he, he was obviously a good enough player that he could, uh, he could challenge me and, like, let me win but still give me a challenge. And, like, he, he got me interested in the game of chess, and I still play to this day. Uh, so, like, I, I think that there's there's something there where it's like a... Like, a parent should present an obstacle to the child that they can overcome, but it is still, like, a legitimate obstacle that is appropriate for their uh, age... Uh, position and development. Yeah, you're you're actually coming closer to my argument because that's exactly the type of thing I'm arguing for. I that, what you're describing is fine. It's that that can't be like explicitly communicated though. The child has to think oh, like, yeah, well, you can't, you can't, I am no, getting you, good at this. You, you kind of have to lie to the child a little yeah. bit. Yeah. You, you can't just say, like, hi, I fucking let you, let you win. You actually suck at this. I had to tone my shit down so much to even make your dumbass fucking list. That's the type of thing I'm talking about where it gets, like, really fucking insidious and asshole-ish, for lack of a better term. Well, okay, so this is, this is like, this is something that I've thought about. Right? Uh, do I tell my child about Santa Claus? Uh, 
And I'm leaning towards no, just like, you know, it's obviously a lie or whatever, like, why would I lie to my child? But then I think to myself, you know, maybe there is, uh, there's a greater purpose to Santa Claus, right? <clears throat> maybe the purpose of it is that you tell your child a lie, and all the other children, you know, are also taught this lie, and the lesson really is not about a jolly old fat, fat man gives you presents. That's not the lesson there. The lesson there is that uh, you can't trust authority figures, and that's a deep lesson that you can hold with you for the rest of your life. It's like the people that you trust the most, the, most, the authority figures in, in your life, they will lie to you. And in this circumstance, they did it for seemingly good reasons. Like, like I remember when I first realized that, you know, Santa wasn't real. And I was like, Oh, okay. Like, clearly my parents were doing this so that I could believe in something fantastical and make Christmas more fun. And so it, it's not malicious, but I did learn an important lesson. I was like, oh, yeah, okay, authority figures can fucking lie to me. And that's a really important lesson. So then I think about that. I'm like, okay, so maybe actually telling your child that Santa is real is a good idea because... There's a lesson there, and the lesson is bigger than just a, uh, you know, jolly old fat man giving you presents. It's it's kind of like the uh, <clears throat> uh, I I I forget I forget where this comes from, but it's the uh, it's the idea that um, someone on the left comes upon a fence and they go, I don't like this fence, and so they burn it down, and then someone on the right comes upon a fence and they go. Uh, I, I don't know why the fence is here, and before burning it down, I will try to figure out why the fence is here. Maybe that's like Santa. Like, maybe I'm too quick on saying, okay, no, I don't want to teach my child about Santa, because, like, maybe actually there's a greater, uh, like, evolutionary advantage in that parable, even though to some extent you're kind of deceiving your child and being a dick to them and maybe making fun of them a bit, Right? I think there is a type of deeper meaning and a mythology like that. It's sort of communicating that you tell your kids all your time, okay, if you're good on Christmas, you'll be rewarded in this, this, and this way at the end of the year. So then your 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 kids are going through the whole year like with this little like moral checkbox inside of their head, like saying it's like hmm. If I want to get some good stuff, I better be good on this. Like, ah, I did a bad thing yesterday. I better make up for it today to balance that scale back out. So it's kind of instilling this type of background moral process that's not explicitly handed to them by you personally. It's more like this mystical, transcendental, universal force that is rewarding them. And in a weird sort of way, from my perspective, that could actually bolster a deeper sense of maturity <clears throat> over time. Even though at a certain age they find us like, okay, this might have all just been made up by us, but, you know, all those little moral tick boxes you had from all those years, they're, they're not as easily wiped away as you figuring out this one day that Santa isn't really real. That background process is still instilled within them and still operating without their explicit awareness, even if they find out after a while it's not real. 
So I I love that you and I took uh, two different meanings from Santa. So your idea was that, okay, well, Santa is kind of like a proto-religion for children that can instill moral values with them without, like, them even really thinking about it. And so, like, maybe that's the good part of it. And then my thing was, well, you eventually find out that Santa is a lie, and therefore you inherently distrust authority figures. <laughs> so, like, well, there's a type of... Uh, for completely different reasons, we're both yeah. like, yeah, maybe Santa's a good thing. <laughs> there's a type of uh, a more profound angle to that as well, in that you don't want all of the morality instilled in the child that's coming from you explicitly because in a very real sense we know how nature works you're literally not always going to be there to be be like the moral head uh, and, and the source of morality for the child so it's better that it's actually instilled by like this immortal like quasi-human personified aspect of the universe in human guise that's always going to be there and eternal whether or if you teach them the morality directly it's going to be more of like a direct patrilineal honorific type system which if you noticed isn't really that prevalent in the western world these days yeah yeah well it's you know, it's it's a lot easier to follow an entity than it is to follow a man, because a man is fallible. An entity is an entity. It exists out there in the ether. And the entity does not have to be fallible. It's, it's easier to follow. If you want to go the, the ultra-nationalist, like, hard, hard right-wing route, like, that entity would be personified by something like the the nation, the country, like the fatherland or the motherland. So that's always underneath you and has been there, seen the deaths of many of your ancestors and will see your death too, but is always there. This eternal mythological land. I think, I think that, uh, I think that Santa Claus, you know, I, uh, through the course of this conversation with you, I think I've, I've more or less revised my position on Santa Claus. I was thinking, like, why lie to your children? But now I'm thinking, you know what, man? It seems like it does a number of good things. Uh, it's Actually, Santa Claus is probably a bit like religion. There's a reason why it's so prevalent. It's because it, it clearly confers an advantage over the, the, the disadvantages that it has. So... Yeah, if you're if you're in the West and and uh, you know if you're no matter what you believe, if you're a Jew or an atheist, I'm, teach your kid about Santa. Fuck it. And this is like also the trichotomy of like the religious belief that I was talking about earlier with that famous philosophical line: the commoner thinks it's true, the philosopher thinks it's false, and the ruler thinks it's useful. You're the ruler of the family, so. You're beyond, like, okay, you're already, philosophically, you know that Santa Claus is false, but hey, right now in this very conversation, you've been exposed to a new way of thinking about it, it's like, hmm, that's actually useful. Now, the commoner would be your child who's going to actually believe it, but then as they mature and become more introspective and think, it's like, hmm, wait a minute, this isn't logically adding up. Philosophically, I think Santa Claus might not actually be real. And then when they have children, they went, well... 
Santa didn't turn out to be real, but when I was a kid, like, I remember all those Christmases where, yay, Santa, the sleigh bells and the boots on the roof. It's like, ah, ooh, I remember all those things, and those were some pretty fun times, and we always got some pretty decent presents, so maybe that'll be a useful thing to teach my children, too. Santa, so Santa is kind of like the uh, the kindergarten for religion, but it's also the kindergarten for um, having a healthy distrust of authorities, and I think that in both ways it's beautiful. Fuck yeah. Let's go Santa. I love Santa now. Yeah, and your kids are going to have to get pretty mature before they reach the it's useful phase. Uh, you didn't reach the it's useful phase until talking to me just now, apparently, so it's going to take a while. Well, I, you know, honestly, I haven't thought that much about Santa since, you know, like I was, I don't know, like seven or something. So I mean, it's been a while. It's not something I lend a lot of thought to, but um, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, fair, fair I think uh, fair points all, all, all around. <clears throat> um, okay, well, that was, that was kind of a, uh, uh, a slight... Uh, 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 we always do this when last time it was biology and now it's Santa Claus. <laughs> Where will it go next time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, that was that was a, a bit, bit bit of a, a tiny detour. Um, so I have fix uh, it in post. <laughs> no, no, no. I think I think that actually the uh, a lot of the value here comes from um, some of the detours that, that we make because that actually that started from uh, uh, is. Is is there a demon? There's clearly a demon behind the left. Is there a demon behind the right? And then, I guess we got to Santa Claus. Maybe Santa Claus is the demon behind the right that we are not considering. Uh, <laughs> but uh, okay, the uh, last uh, just small topic that I wanted to cover while we're here, while we have the time, um, I think that I've identified three basic categories of games that. Uh, literally everything can fall into. Uh, so, complete non-sequitur, we're talking about video games now. Uh, Yay! So, three main types. You have human versus computer. This is something as simple as Tetris, or uh, Free Cell, or Minesweeper, uh, any sort of solitaire game. Also, something as complex as, let's say, uh, Dark Souls or the uh, Elder Rings or w whatever favorite um, campaign uh, video game that you have. Like, uh, I think my favorite is still um, the uh, the three campaigns from uh, Halo, Halo 1, 2, and 3. After Halo 3, it went to shit. But those were the, I swear to God, best fucking campaigns, uh, video game campaigns that I've ever played. I'm not saying and best also... ever. But also, all the Final Fantasies except 4 and 9 were exclusively single-player. Okay, right. So, I'm only talking about games that I played. I've actually never played a Final Fantasy game. Uh, I apologize to anyone who's offended by that, but uh, Halo was the shit. Uh, in your position, Final Fantasy was the shit, absolutely. So, human versus computer. That's a, that's a type of game. Uh, <clears throat> now, you also have... And I think this is... Uh, probably the most rare out of the three, you have the multiple humans versus a computer. So this is like a, a World of Warcraft kind of thing where like you and seven other friends team up to beat a boss or something. 
uh, or like a multiplayer D and D campaign, like Baldur's Gate Two, where you can technically play multiplayer, but each each human can control a different character in the party up to six. But then you play this set on rails campaign within the game, fighting NPCs and computer based enemies. Okay, right. So there's there's fewer examples of this category, but it's multiple humans versus a computer is the idea. And then finally, um, it's human versus human. So this could be as basic as like a game of checkers or a game of chess. Or Pong. Or Pong. Um, all the way up to, let's say, like a, a Call of Duty title um, or uh, a Hearthstone or a Magic the Gathering. Or um, I've been playing uh, some of the, uh, the auto chess, like auto battler kind of games recently. Those are really fun. Uh <clears throat> Oh, actually, uh, 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 side note, as as the multiple humans versus a computer category, um, actually, Call of Duty Zombies mode would be an example of that, where you get, like, four people together and you're just battling the AI-controlled zombies. That's another example of humans teaming up to beat the computer. Anyway. Or Left 4 Dead. Yeah, Left 4 Dead is another great example of that, right. So, um... <clears throat> So breaker out of out of these three categories of games, human versus computer, multiple humans versus a computer, or human versus human slash humans versus humans. What's your favorite? Out of video games, I'll give a two pronged answer. Out of video games, it's just straight single player human versus computer. But for games in general, which can include things like uh, card games. Well, obviously, those actually require another human to play most of the time, so... Most of my multiplayer games have been, like, Yu-Gi-Oh! or Magic the Gathering. In, like, real life, sit down across from another human and play. Okay, so... Out of the three different types of games, I... I prefer the, the human versus human game. That's not to say that I can't get down with the other ones. I uh, I love me some fucking Halo campaign. Um, I I I like I like playing the campaigns. I literally just finished. Um, I know I'm like two years late to the story, but uh, I picked it up like a week ago. Uh, I finished um, the uh, Star Wars Fallen Order, which is kind of like a kind of like a Star Wars version of uh, Dark Souls, I guess. Uh, but, uh, like, I, I can appreciate, like, a single-player campaign, absolutely. But I think that I'm more drawn towards the human-versus-human type of game. And that's because I think that it allows for more emergent gameplay and more, like, there's more space for genuine creativity. I probably couldn't really... You know what actually blends those things together really well is a game like Minecraft, where it has all three. Sorry, sorry uh, you could... Breaker, Breaker, I believe that you uh, got the pronunciation on that wrong. I believe it's pronounced uh, Minecraft, not Minecraft. I uh, don't know if you did that on purpose, but go ahead. Minecraft. Uh, yay. <laughs> but, uh, yeah... In Minecraft, you can uh, you can play just you versus like digital Lego environments. You could turn the enemies off and just build shit, or you could have enemies on, and you could go to, like challenge maps with like 
super high programmed AI by some type of Minecraft modder and actually fight do or something in Minecraft. I don't, you can literally do anything in Minecraft. Or you can team up with multiple humans just to build stuff and not really compete against the humans. More like building things in the world and maybe going on a campaign against the computerized AI enemies. Or you could do PvP in Minecraft. I, Minecraft has all of those elements. And it's the most insanely... It, they're all e equally distributed and it's the most insanely popular game in the world. Have you, have you actually spent time playing Minecraft? Mostly single. I got into some multiplayer Minecraft, but it was kind of meh for me. So I just did a lot of, like, building. I found Seed Zero. You have to type in a special word. You can actually find Seed Zero. I, do, I don't and know it, what that is. Well, for any Minecraft people who are listening, just type in Creeshank's Organzine into the seed. And for whatever weird conglomeration of how Minecraft is coded, it will... It will register that as the number zero, and you'll actually be playing in seat zero. Minecraft people are going insane right now that I said that, but anyway. Uh, seat zero, like, I, I know that uh, Minecraft is a procedurally generated world. I've yeah. Never, I've never played it myself, uh, but I guess... You can, get, seats... you can get seat one by just typing in one, but if you type zero, it doesn't see that as a valid integer and just defaults to one. But if you type in, like, a really tricky thing that fucks with the code, like the word Creeshank space organzine, it actually, through hex code, boils that down to the number zero, and that's a way to circumvent it not wanting to use integer zero. Is there something special about seed zero? There are several things special about seed zero that you find uh, really rare treasures literally right next to where you start, and there's a really good village around, so there's a lot of like weird, quirky, special things about seed zero. And there's also like fucked up, half-completed biomes that are like blending together it's there's a lot of weird stuff in there too because it's not that scene isn't supposed to exist but the game through this exploit will render it oh so like if you're trying to speed run minecraft uh potentially seed zero would be a, a good a good place to do it at something like that yeah okay yeah i've never played it myself but uh a lot of people like that like that game um i know that uh uh, this uh, this one YouTuber, uh, he's not like super well known, but I th uh, he's like a I think it's PewDiePie. Um, he, uh, he, he yeah, he I've never heard of that play. guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, who knows? Uh, he he used to play uh, some Minecraft. I think he might still actually. I uh, think you mean Minecraft. Mine. Sorry, right? Minecraft. Minecraft. Uh. Uh. Yeah, never. I've you know I've never played the game. I guess I'm not really that much into sandbox games because it's like, uh, although uh, you know what I can't say that because you know what I did do. I did play like a hundred hours of Satisfactory. I don't know if you've ever heard of that game, but it's it's this game where basically you you build a factory. It's like a 3D version of uh, Factorio. Um, and I, d I did have some fun just, like, designing, like, factories and machines and shit in that game. That was actually really fun. So, actually, okay. You know what? As a sandbox game, I'm not going to shit on it because I can understand. I played Satisfactory. Had a ton of fun playing that. Uh, once you got into having to make anything past supercomputers, I was like, okay, it's gotten too complex. I can't really play this anymore. I, I'm not bright enough, I guess, or I'm not as... as uh, I'm not enough of an engineering type mind but um uh quite a fun game 
Um, you know, a weird thing about Minecraft, you can actually build a fully functional, like, it's a really primitive computer. It's kind of like, uh, what was those old computers with the cassette tapes? Oh, uh... Commodore 64. I know, I know that you can build something akin to a Turing machine in, in Minecraft. You can build a whole Commodore 64 that actually works, but it's really fucking slow because it's all going off Minecraft animation speed. So you can literally see all like the the Boolean logic gates on a CPU. You can build those in Minecraft on this giant CPU and actually see the electricity go through the CPU through the Boolean logic gates and compute before your eyes, but it's extremely slow. That's the, uh, <clears throat> I think that is the, you have to use red dust in order yeah, to... Yeah, the redstone. Yeah. Redstone, yeah, yeah. Um, it's all redstone switches. Yeah, I, 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 it was a few years back, I think I saw someone that had more or less created like a, uh, like a TI-89 calculator. Um, yeah. On, on that, and god damn it, that's impressive. Like, holy shit. <laughs> like, you can also make the whole Commodore 64, but... Now, this isn't going to compute as fast as a real-life Commodore 64 is going to, but the fact that you can do it is more of like a, a tech head quirk. It's like, oh, that's an amazing thing. You could do this freaking game. Well, you know, and um, that's kind of my central argument um, about why it is that Elon Musk is wrong, that you could have infinite recursive uh, realities of simulations inside simulations inside simulations, because every time that you make um, a... Uh, uh, a simulation, it gets less efficient um, because the uh, uh, what do you call it? The uh, the fucking uh, the emulator. The emulator is never as efficient as the original project uh, as the original product. So um, I don't think that you could have infinite simulations uh, that go down forever. And I think that Elon Musk is incorrect. But uh, you know what? That's well, here's probably... here's the thing about that. Okay, all right. The only problem with that is like we haven't tapped into the quantum realm for computing yet. No, no, I don't think that fixes it. I don't think that fixes the problem at all. <laughs> I, was, I was just going to drop that and say we can talk about it the next time, but we could we could get into it briefly if you want. Let me think. The only problem with like the the infinite recursion, as from our perspective in this universe, is you like run out of you run out of usable data at the quantum level. The waveform collapses, then you just have less than zero you don't even have a computable integer at that point but if you can actually use the quantum process somehow to perform computing tasks it would actually start to work so um let's say that i could actually uh do like uh an infinite fractal of simulation has a simulation that has a simulation that has a simulation ad infinitum um at the highest level of like where the original simulation was like created, uh, you would end up with infinite infinite uh, information density, and then it would just become a black hole. And so, given our understanding of how like f like f physics works, at least right now, um, it's not it's not a possible thing. You, you would end up with infinite information density real quick. Mm. Hmm. And black holes are not great for, uh, at least, <clears throat> maybe, maybe, uh, 
the the boundary, the, the the Swartz child radius of a black hole may be useful for computation, but uh, not the not the inside part. So, uh, but who really knows what's happening on the inside part of the black hole, though? Ooh. It's technically impossible to know. Shit, maybe that's where God lives. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, now we've got like super drug brain physics level shit. Yeah, this is ultimate drug brain. Yeah. Okay. Uh, maybe maybe we should just leave it there then. <laughs> uh, uh, <clears throat> maybe we can get some smarter people on like Mixolkima that can actually understand some of the physics and math behind this and maybe tell us some things that us drug brains don't know about. Uh, yeah, dude. Humble, humble fucking biologist here does not know shit about um, physics. Uh, so uh, we're both we're both retarded, uh, and that's great. Uh, and uh, we'll leave it at that. So yeah, let's uh, let's let's fucking uh, let's try to get someone on next time. We'll see if we can. Um, but otherwise, that'll be the uh, I guess the the end of uh, the podcast thank you for listening uh, everyone to um promethean tides we are uh, continuing to uh, uh try to try to build this out and, and make it something that is decent and that uh, people uh, may actually want to listen to uh and uh, uh yeah so that's 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 it for me uh, and uh, breaker uh, i guess goodbye my wife's name out your motherfucking mouth! Okay, please don't slap me again. Alright, goodbye everyone. <laughs>